Assalamualaikum and welcome to the Mad Mamluks podcast. My name is Sim. Along with me is my co-host, Sheikh Amir Saeed. How are you all doing? Mahin Islam is out. We had a blizzard and uh, he was not able to make it. Uh, we have a wonderful episode for you guys today. But before we get to that, we're going to give a shout out to our sponsors. HalfHourDean.com is the website you go for the private matrimonial experience. Go to halfardeen.com and get your profile set up in as little as five minutes. Uh, Wahedinvest.com is a website that was created for the purposes of halal investing. Make sure you go to Wahedinvest and download their quick and convenient app and manage your finances. Mywasia.com is a website that was created by Sheikh Joe Bradford for the purposes of creating a Sharia-compliant will that also is recognized by the authorities you can get your will created at mywasia.com in as little as 15 minutes all right thank you for joining us this afternoon sorry about the late start we had some technical issues but we got it sorted out and uh we have brother william Berrylow from the uk he is of french origin and uh he's a sociologist an author uh, a writer essentially and a you're involved in film as well right william um yeah kind of yeah yeah so uh you have a just a, a plethora of, of skills and and <laughs> i don't know how you, a, a person like you just figures out okay i i can do x y and z and i need to focus on one of those someone who's like a jack of all trades never can really really become uh or it usually has a hard time bringing all these skills and kind of merging them into a project? Well, I would say that uh, I'm driven by my sense of purpose. Like if I have an idea, uh, I'm always asking myself, how can this idea benefit for the, 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 the most people? So, and, uh, so I have to think not only uh, how could I do things which are relevant to my field, uh, like sociology, but also how can these ideas reach most people? And well, obviously, uh, I started uh, more than 10 years ago with uh, like photography, and I found that visual media uh, like uh, research should go together with visual uh, like media because like for obvious reasons, I I don't see the point of writing books or articles for them to like take dust in some uh, forgotten shelf in some library. Uh, research has to have practical implication. It has to benefit society. It has to benefit um, people who are also at the uh, like uh, being. I don't like this term like researched upon. This is something like Europeans have been done like for for like decades, centuries. But I like to talk rather about making research with people. So anything which has, we, which is produced by academia has to serve uh, like a community, society first and foremost. And this is, I guess, the logical and natural e evolution of my thoughts. So um, how to illustrate all these complex uh, topics, all these concepts, uh, these like very strange long words that doesn't, that don't maybe mean anything uh, like 
at first sight, but they, they have to, because it's important, I think, to be able to name things so we can analyze them, know what's going on, and then yeah, talk about it in a much more easier easier way. So I just take it uh, one step at a time. Uh, if I'm writing, I'm only focusing on writing, then if I, I, like, I take the time to reflect on the, the, the videos or the, the, the visual content, then I'll work on it. And step by step, and uh, yeah, it's, it, it takes some time. It's, it's not easy at all, but yeah. uh, I mean, yeah, this is what I feel is needed to, to be done. So um, you, you've had like a, a, a very interesting um, selection of places where you want to study. Like, for example, you want to study the Muslims of Poland. Like, wh what drives you or what makes you want to study the Muslims of Poland? Because I didn't even know Polish Muslims existed. Um, <laughs> because there's so much haram food in Poland. They, they like a lot of pork, you know? So, well, at least that's what our perception is or, or of it, uh, William. So tell us a little bit about that. Not How only you... that, just to add to that, a lot of people, when they talk about the Muslim world, they really don't talk about Muslims in Poland, unfortunately. They either talk about the Muslims in UK, Muslims in France, Muslims in Brussels, right. Muslims in America, Muslims well, in Australia. No one really talks about that's Muslims in Poland. An amazing point because I even I this is the first time I met someone of a French origin, white French origin person who is Muslim as well. So people at least from the English speaking Muslim yeah. world, uh, the UK, Canada, Australia, we haven't seen many of you guys. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that, William, at least your, your background and your, your selection process on how you end up picking Muslims places to, yeah, Muslims of Poland to study, you know? Yeah. Uh, so first of all, uh, just there is a place on the globe which hasn't been touched by Islam. So I think haram food or not, like any places in the world, you can find Muslims, and uh, even if it might seem unexpected. So uh, about my research pro process, I think it's pretty straightforward. Um, I was born in France, but my parents are Polish. And uh, so they, they, they flew uh, from uh, Poland. They escaped communism in the 80s. Then they settled in France. They came like for a very, very modest background, like my, my dad, uh, his parents, they, they, my, my granddad used to work in construction in uh, this, uh, sit, in this uh, city of Poland called uh, Pikareszanskie near Katowice and Silesia, so a very industrial region. My mom, uh, her parents were farmers. Uh, she she grown up in a village. And uh, so they, they had to, to, to flee uh, Poland in the 80s. And then I was born in France. My sister was born in France. And uh, uh, complex fearing because at the time in the 80s, there was like a heavy and serious anti-Polish uh, propaganda in France. And very, uh, because the like we like I've learned about it during my studies in my masters that Polish immigration in France back in the days they, they didn't like Polish people because they found they were too religious, and even if that's not true for like all uh, the, the people who came to France, but well, my parents wanted me and my sister to completely assimilate to to to. to 
give us uh, English-sounding names. So my name is like it was not like a, a Marius or Tomek. It was it's a William because they wanted me to blend. They didn't teach us Polish because they wanted us to only speak French. And well, they realized later that, that they made kind of a mistake because we were learning French at school anyways. And we asked them, my sister and I, uh, for them to speak Polish with us so we can like get back to our roots. And when I embraced Islam, which was uh, more than 10 years ago, so I, I still have family in Poland, like I have an uncle, a few cousins. And uh, back in the days, uh, my grandma on my mom's side was still alive. And I wanted to, to see her because I think... I think it was the, the grandma which was closest to, to, to me. But after I embraced Islam, of course, I was asking myself the question, so um, where will I be able to pray Juma uh, if there was any place like this? Where will I be able to uh, find food if I needed to eat on my own? And then naturally, as anyone else would do, I go Muslims, Islam, Poland, and that my own surprise, I found that you have Muslims' family settled since the 14th century in Poland. So, it's it, yeah, it came as a, a surprise because they are still like 0.01% of the whole population. But it, I just like found that uh, Poland has this immense history where Muslims were actually an officially recognized minority when it comes to the Tatars. They, they, these are the original Muslims who came from Crimea and Turkey. And, from, uh, and uh, so they were officers serving um, the uh, Duke of uh, Poland, Litvia, at the time to defend the country against uh, like the Germans. And as a reward, as, a, as, a, as an act of gratitude, the, the, the Duke granted all the Tatar officers a piece of land and the right to practice their own religion. So you can still find nowadays in the northern parts of the country uh, mosques which are built entirely of wood and which are 200, 300 years old. So this is there, there's a massive, massive heritage over there. That's amazing. So uh, what kind of population would you ask? Um, would you put Muslims in Poland at? I mean, are they under a million or maybe much, much more less than that? Uh, when I did my documentary, uh, which you can find is freely accessible on YouTube, you, uh, I think I stumbled upon the figures of maximum 40,000 people in a country which has uh, 40 million inhabitants. Um, and what's the so name of your documentary? Sorry. You, on YouTube, you just type Polish Muslims documentary and it, it will come up in the, okay. on the results. Very cool. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's very small and also very, very diverse because, of course, Poland has entered the European Union in 2005. So not only you have uh, the, have become like a minority within the minority, but also you have lots of people who come, came from uh, Turkey, North Africa, South Asia, the Middle East, and of course, uh, lots of lots of Poles, uh, Polish men and women, and mostly women embracing Islam in Poland. And and generally, like if you uh, meet with some Bosnians or Albanians, a lot of them um, find similarities, or they kind of look up to the Turks, right? And some of them may be able to speak some Turkish. I met some Albanians that know how to speak uh, a little bit of Turkish. Um, is that the same thing with the uh, Polish Muslims? Do they kind of find uh, similarities with the uh, Turkish Muslims? 
Well, the Tatars, they had a, like a huge Turkish influence, of course. Yes. Uh, but now because... Now, in uh, 2019. Yeah, now in 2019, uh, I, I would say... Um, and also one thing to take into account is that during the communism era, uh, the practice of religion had declined the religiosity they had to take um like christian sounding names uh for so for example someone called ali he would uh, have a second name alexander yeah and uh for example but now nowadays so you have a very very diverse population of muslims in poland so it's not only the, the the tatars but you have also lots of people who come from all these different parts of the world uh, who have like like all sorts of different influences so i would say it's not monolithic at all okay well um william we you you kind of got on our map when you were talking about uh, neoliberalism and you kind of made a video related to that and i'm going to put that on in a minute but we we've had a difficult time explaining some of these very difficult concepts as you mentioned earlier you know making something that sounds scary like neoliberalism and modernity. or modernity and, and all these, you know, various political uh, or sorry, philosophical words like postmodernism as well. You know, having that make sense to the listeners has been quite a challenge and we've done our best. But I think what you did was kind of nailed it. You, you created a video that kind of exemplifies what neoliberal or one of the tenets, one of the effects of how neoliberalism has crept into our uh, into the Muslim world as well. So I'm going to go ahead and show the viewers a little bit about what your video is about. I'm not going to I'm not going to play the whole thing because it's a little bit lengthy, but um, uh, we can go ahead and watch it and get a little bit of a taste of what it's about. Assalamu alaikum. Do you want to make 62,311 pounds and 32 pence within one hour doing absolutely nothing? Why is it a problem to define the idea of success in terms of performance, results or money? Why do the most popular celebrities all share the same lifestyle which is about fast cars, bragging about the Emirates first class seats and they all go to Dubai? Dubai right here. This is Dubai right here. You see all those skyscrapers. They vehiculated the idea that to be Muslim, one needs to be cool. And to be cool is to appear powerful and desirable. Hello and welcome. I'm William and this is Q, a series for exploring social challenges. And today we will analyze neoliberalism, where it comes from and why it's problematic. Part of the answer... Alright, so... You, uh, the viewers just got a little taste of what the video is about. I'm going to put a link in the description below so that they can see the entirety of the video. Now, what... what uh, what is neoliberalism? So to make it very, very simple, it started uh, in the late 40s, early 50s. Some people would say even earlier as an economic system, just like capitalism. However, the thing with neoliberalism is that it has become um, an economic system which has become an entire culture. I would say even a cult or maybe a religion to some extent. So basically, uh, the economic system itself is very simple. It's free market, uh, so no regulations and making money out of like anything and everything. And with the assumption that the prices will be regulated by competition. So what if we translate this 
into a way of life. How does it translate? Basically, someone who lives uh, like uh, as a neoliberal, this is the philosophy that you have to live your life like if you, as if you were in a market, like thinking of things as potential products you can make profit of. Mm. And uh, like consequently, anything uh, can potentially, you can make potentially money of, out of like anything and everything. And of course, see your life as a competition. You have to crush your competitors. Mm. So you assign values to every single person you see. Like even if, if I see um, uh, a person that is making another uh, podcast and possibly see him as a competitor instead of a human being who's you know trying to do whatever he can um same here if he's following the neoliberal philosophy might not necessarily see he, uh, a dollar value on him but might see him as a competitor is, is that correct yeah exactly yeah you basically it's seeing the word from uh, the lens of utilitarianism how can this person or this object serve me how can I make use of this person, of this object? Mm. And, and so uh, it has, so for like, let's say 60, 70 years. And to the point that uh, it has become in some societies, uh, let's say like Europe and certainly America, North America, that yeah, to be a valid citizen, you need to be someone who earns, who produces and who consumes. So, and this is how we, we, we come to the, this end where we have people like poor, shaming poor people saying that, oh, they're not working as hard and, this, and, uh, and so on, because everything has to be looked through the lens of productivity, of performance, of success. Actually, uh, why is success has been so defined uh, by our material possessions and our social status? Uh, why success should be uh, linked to how much power you have, how much, uh, how big is your house, how powerful or expensive is your car, uh, what profession are you doing? Why is it better to be uh, to be a banker than, for example, let's say uh, an artist or a teacher or a nurse? So, yeah, basically, uh, it's like strongly associated with your social status. And if you have, if you want to have like a good social status according to neoliberalism then you have to be either wealthy famous powerful yeah it's, it's about basically your power of influence to some extent now a lot of people will say well you know there's been a lot of um good good that has happened because of you know very famous um, people who may have utilized uh, some neoliberal ideas like for example Noman Ali Khan he's got a very large audience he basically mastered the 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 way the the christian evangelicals held their conferences and stuff and he he's built a very large audience now people will say william berilo you know what so what if neoliberalism brought these ideas it's brought a tremendous uh, amount of other people to the the faith and we're 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 benefiting from the we're benefiting from these ideas instead of but not only that, just to add on to that, people say, well, we're living in a time of neoliberalism, materialism. Why not use and throw Islam on that same uh, wavelength and make it, you know, readily available for everyone else, like everything else, or else we're going to be left behind as da'is or whatever the case is, right? So how would you respond to those two, sir? 
Yeah, so of course, like neoliberalism comes with some effects that people might see as uh, like useful, interesting, uh, like ha having more visibility, having more, and people would uh, justify, for example, yeah, this is for empowering the Ummah and this kind of things. Mm -hmm. But however, my contention is that neoliberalism is nothing more than a lie. It's an illusion that we are being sold. And I insist that the term sold, yeah, we, we are being sold and bought. So because I would say very similarly to a religion, whereas in Islam, so we are told that, yeah, if we do behave like this, we do this and do that, so we can either go to Jannat or Jahannam. So hell or heaven. But like neoliberalism uh, offers a similar, I would say, theology in the sense that it tells us that if we want to be free, if we want to be happy, then we need to become rich. We need to become famous. We need to become powerful. However, there is a catch. Of course, it doesn't come for free. So the first thing is if people climb the ladder, of course, there is a cost because uh, people uh, are implicitly told to, uh, they have to conform to uh, the dominant society, especially I'm talking like about like us Muslims, here, especially here in the, where we are in, in the minority. We, are, we have to sacrifice parts of our culture, our identity, our ethics, our values, our faiths, our beliefs. Just for example, why uh, people for ap applying for jobs, uh, like lots of people would change their names on the CV uh, for having more like English sounding names. Why on the workplace, I see people instead of uh, presenting themselves as Rizwan, they would call them Riz, instead of Muhammad, it's Mo. It's all because of all these external pressures. If you don't conform to a certain uh, like uh, be behavior, looks, uh, thoughts, the second content. Well, uh, you're you're getting cut off again. Um, oh, you got cut off oh. where you said looks and behaviors and. Yeah. So yeah, that was the end of my point, and I was uh, about to switch to the my second contention, mm -hmm. uh, which is once you reach the very top. It's all about replicating the same systems of injustices and oppression. Yeah, for example, what if one day we have a Muslim president of the United States? That would be wonderful. Like uh, all the papers would be like uh, would be all sharing on social media. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that would be really really good news. We had Obama like a bl first black president, so why not like a Muslim president of the United States? But then. What would be the point of having a Muslim president of the United States if this president goes and bombs civilians? Right. And the, the same thing, for example, if we have like a, a Muslim CEO of, let's say, for example, Virgin. Here in the UK, there's a huge problem with the public health care, which is being privatized by Virgin. So what if we have a Muslim Richard Branson? What would be the point of Islam if this person is tied because he would have to listen to the shareholders telling him that he needs to privatize the public health care? And so and then we have all this uh, narrative that we need to uh, become the elite to be free to, 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 to end Islamophobia and oppression to the point that uh, in my observations recently, I come across this phenomenon of Muslim elite clubs where it's on invite only and you have to pay between 1,000 and 2,000 depending on the club, to uh, let's say dollars or pounds to have the privilege 
but a privilege between um, courts to meet with the richest, the most famous uh, Muslims or like uh, celebrities. For example, you get to talk with Hillary Clinton or the CEO of Amazon. And yeah, this is a true phenomenon. And uh, yeah, no, uh, William, I was interested in your take regarding the, the recent controversial uh, advertisement related to Gillette. Have you heard about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, okay. I have seen the so idea. So for those who haven't heard, the Gillette advertisement was talking about being virtuous men and being putting an end to toxic masculinity. Is there uh, a correlation we can make with regards to how Gillette utilized toxic masculinity to further their message and, um, sorry, to, to enhance their brand and kind of social engineer uh, people to get to talk about their commercial and as well, um, you know, do, do you see a correlation there or no? Uh, yeah, completely. I mean, the thing is, I think people, uh, most people spot, got it right when they spotted that the, like uh, Gillette doing all of a sudden uh, an ad uh, like uh, about toxic masculinity and so on. So I think people got it right when they like immediately uh, notice that, yeah, it's a company, a neoliberal company trying to tap into another market with trying to change its brand image. So it's all about, you know, images the companies display and the words they, they're using. For example, let's just like uh, uh, talk about like the words people use nowadays on social media to promote products. We are talking about influencers, which are in fact like marketers, advertisers, but we prefer to call them influencers. We call people explorers, where, whereas like the only thing they are is like individual tourists. And again, again, this we we have hijacked words like, for example, the cool, coolness. If uh, we read books like uh, this, maybe you heard about Muslim Muslim cool uh, from Suad uh, Abdul Khabir. Um, so she says how cool was first uh, in like coined by black, black um, Muslim Americans about being uh, proud of themselves, self-love, being an apologetic and confident about what they, they, who they are. But now being cool is, yes, someone who goes into like uh, like five-star resorts in Bali, uh, like uh, anything that uh, yeah. like makes, locates you close to centers of power, like wealth, fame, and, and so on. Okay. And yeah, and one final note about this, like a very subtle tweak uh, of words. Nowadays, people, we are in the community, they are pushing each other to become leaders. But again, my contention is, do we even have this concept of leadership uh, in our tradition? Because when we think of a leader, who do we think of? It's this like sole person, usually male, uh, like the president of the United States, a general in the army, or a CEO who is just crushing competitors and using his strength, his power, his intelligence to solve problems by, 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 by force and getting all the merits by himself. But if we look at our sunnah, uh, at, at the life of the Prophet, salam, he, we remember the names of the companions, we remember the names of the wives. He was never alone. He would take decisions by consultation. Of course, he was a warrior. He had to defend the community through wars. But he was also, he had this amazing soft power, able to turn enemies into solid allies and friends and this we, we we completely forget because in islam we have this notion of khalifa being a caliph and what is a caliph is someone who is a steward 
it's not someone who dominates it's someone who takes care of the people uh, around him and i think uh, that we have lost this like differentiation it's and i think we would really win at like remembering like what our tradition would would say about like leadership and influence and power so so in in terms of unwinding the effect of neoliberalism is it even possible because it seems like um the most logical way for a business to operate is utilizing all the vehicles that society is offering it now without islam as a guiding principle w w what other way he would um businesses or any other um enterprise operate you know you understand what i'm saying william like contemporary how, thought yeah, is based off of everything that we have which is neoliberalism so how would they progress without using that vehicle itself of neoliberalism right right so because you can't unwind this because we, we they've already progressed to this um uh, this mode of thinking where you assign values to everything and everything is 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 uh, is going to be a dollar value how, how do you come back from that I, I'm not sure that there is a, a, a solution as simple as coming back, but I trust that people will soon realize uh, that the dangers uh, and the, also the consequences it, it has, because you cannot like turn uh, 1.6 billion of believers into 1.6 billion of consumers all of a sudden without consequences. And also this narrative that to be accepted in the society, we need to be economic actors and nothing else. Uh, because it has like, like dire, cons uh, serious consequences of, for example, mental health. You are supposed to be someone uh, in the workplace, at school, at university, and then, but you are like someone completely different. And let me take this very important example in marriage and relationships. Because why has it become so hard to find a partner nowadays? It's because we have embraced all the expectations that the, the dominant society like imposes on us. And people, even if they're Muslim, they would reject people for like all sorts of random reasons. Like I have a friend, like, you know why he was rejected? It's just mad. Let me tell you, actually, it's a very short story. So I have a dear friend and uh, he is like a psychologist working for public health care. And he was once talking with someone for the purpose of marriage. And finally, he gets invited at the parents' house. And so uh, he's from Indian background, the family's from Indian background. And then when he enters the house and the, the dad, like he's professor in genetics. So you expect like top notch scientific knowledge, like someone who is able to think critically, top notch etiquette. But then when my friend enters the house, the dad, even before saying salam alaikum, the first thing he, he asked my friend, are you Pakistani? I don't want my daughter to marry a Pakistani. So my friend, uh, he says, cool, calm down. I'm just, uh, my, my parents are Indian and so on and so on. But it doesn't end here. The dad looks out of the window. He looks back at my friend. Then all of a sudden he says, get out now. So you can imagine my friend like gets really, really confused. Not only like we haven't even started. What is it happening? And the dad then says, I don't want my daughter to marry someone who's got less than a Mercedes. And uh, my friend has had a Vauxhall. I mean, I, I guess in America, it would be the equivalent of a Ford or like a, a low quality car. And yeah, and this is just like horrible. Why have we put uh, this kind of expectation in standards? Um, 
in the community. And so why, what if our parents, like even if I think of my own parents, they pushed me and my sister to become like bankers, engineers, because I understand they came to France with like no money and they wanted for them, they were believing that yeah, money and, and wealth and good income would be synonym of security, safety, stability. But then the question is, what if we don't want to be rich or to do these professions? What if we don't believe that we will be happy doing these or becoming rich? What even we have experienced in our own lives that no money or this kind of like uh, high earning profession doesn't equate like happiness. And this is why I guess we have such an epidemic of mental health in the community. I see people ending up in relationships with people they have chosen because of their looks, because of their income, and they end up completely depressed. They are arguing each day. And like even some of my friends want marriage they're thinking of suicide sometimes and like what kind of a society is uh, like which it, 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 like pushes people like to think about killing themselves and i think there's a real problem and people at some point they will realize it and notice that yeah there's something wrong with like how the system works well the, the whole idea is that it seems like everyone is being pushed to chase their next instinct the the more you satisfy whatever is your 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 next inclination towards anything um whether it's partying or whether it's um sex or whether it's you know um uh vacations or, or whatever it is but you are essentially becoming a slave to your desires exactly yeah and, and i think this is this is something that's getting lost on on people when we talk about these concepts william that people don't understand like well what other way is there to live this is happiness you know and and they look at you like like you're like you're an alien and you're talking about something um that is alien to what makes you a human being that uh you know that what makes humans uh achieve happiness is pursuing the next uh, uh the next pleasure so can you talk a little bit about that and and how we 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 come back from that and how we restructure our brains so that we find happiness um in a, in another means through another means well it's a very very complex question because i don't think there is a like a single way to do this but uh, the things you mentioned about like seeking pleasure and like uh, for like, immediate uh fulfillment were like uh, this kind of rush of dopamine uh, to the brain, I think it comes uh, with with time and uh, people and re self-reflection. Because uh, if I reflect on my own journey, like at some point I was believing what my parents would, would tell me that, yeah, I need to become rich. I need to, to become this and this. So maybe I'll be, I'll be happy. And like, and I was like feeling at every step I would take for to validate their dream would make me actually happy. But when people start facing uh, hardships, going through uh, hard times, uh, like whether it, it can be things like illness, separation, like, or like depression, we have lack of self-esteem. I think people naturally realize the only, like the, the my only, I would say, uh, 
thing that makes me sad is that people sometimes realize it when they're reaching 40, their 40s, their 50s. And I wish these are things we could teach our own children and uh, for the future generation for like, when I have children, inshallah, is for them, I want them to be aware waste them uh, on the path what people would say what the society will say and for them to be very cautious and careful not to fall into the same traps i've been falling into and i think this is it has yeah. to do with the the importance of storytelling within our families like did i did my parents even told me once about like the hardships I would be facing at university, uh, at school, or even like in relationships. I wish they would have told me the mistakes they made and for me to be careful not to replicate the same mistakes. But uh, I found this like dimension of storytelling like almost non-existent. It's like there, there, there is a taboo with certain things and uh, they just let me learn with uh, like uh, with trial and error, unfortunately. But I think, yeah, this is something which we need to think about. How do we transmit uh, our experiences to the next generation? And you know, I'm glad you mentioned storytelling. I think that's a really awesome buzzword. Um, storytelling is, I think, one of the most profound and the simplest way to bring about change. Um, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. Like we say, I've heard some people say before, well, we have to let children live uh, and experience life that's the first thing and eventually they'll come to us for help that's one mindset right the other is of which you're mentioning you wish that someone to someone told you uh, what you should expect um, reason being is we think that if our children aren't living in the you know uh, the 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 contemporary uh, setting that we're in right now we're talking about neoliberalism and we think that our children are going to be left out that's the biggest problem. We're worried about our children being outcasts and then being bullied. And But the thing is that the beautiful thing about storytelling is that when you tell somebody a story by way of learning lessons through it, you're allowing them to understand that you may be subjugated to being outcast. You may be subjugated to some type of bullying. But the story built a very strong foundation within them, which they understand why they're going through it now. If you don't, if you don't go by way of storytelling, I mean, look at the... Mecca, one of the reasons for the themes of Mecca, of the of, of the revelation of the Quran, was stories of the prophets to Muhammad that came before, right? We know that, uh, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the themes, thematically, focused on uh, aqidah, belief, everything that entails belief, um, also focused on, you know, not tipping the scales, changing certain habits they had, like burying the daughters, but also... A big portion of that was giving elaborate stories, right, uh, to Muhammad to strengthen his resolve, because stories are going to be something that they stick with you and they they actually have a profound way of building concepts within you without intentionally building concepts, right? They they build concepts within an individual and they make them very strong and they're able to withstand, um, you know, any type of hardship, whether it be mm -hmm. you know social, emotional, physical. Because yeah. it's, it's those stories, and that's what Allah. Look at the look at Surah Yusuf. It's the entire story of Yusuf Alayhi from beginning to end. A lot of surahs, when they include uh, uh, stories of the prophets, it'll be like you know a portion here, a portion there, and that's because. And when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala calls it the best of stories, it means that we're going to learn the best of lessons, and it'll strengthen us the most if we look at it properly, the way it's supposed to look, be looked at, right? So when you said storytelling, I think that that's something that's so underutilized. 
Everyone what loves say, hearing yeah. stories. Everyone loves stories. Yeah, what you say is extremely, extremely important because like, going back to neoliberalism, one of the contentions I have is what role models do we take nowadays? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I hear like so many people saying things such as, oh, we need a Muslim Mark Zuckerberg. We need a Muslim Richard Branson. Oh, we need a Muslim Rupert Murdoch. I'm tempted to tell them, man, do you know who is Rupert Murdoch? Like the, uh, one of them. Like, <laughs> and we have those, by the way. They just don't know those names. We have people like Walid bin Talal and them, and what the, they're part of the machine. Yeah. And my my point is, why don't we say, oh, we need a British or a, an American Al Ghazali, a British uh, Ibn Sina, a British Malcolm X, or an American Arabia? Uh, and why don't we look at uh, like the, the even like this, the the very sitter of the Prophet Because the Prophet he used to like he used to struggle. He had so many different struggles that he overcame in many different ways. And we have so much to learn um, about this. Yeah. And there is, uh, I mean, Alhamdulillah, I'm uh, I, I, I'm. I want to like, I, I praise the elders for transmitting all the rituals, the uh, for uh, giving us the ability to l- read the Quran, even if we don't really understand Arabic. Um, but I think now we also need to uh, put more focus on adab and etiquette, because even if we take uh, the, the, the story of the revelation uh, chronologically. Um, First, uh, there was not like the prayer. It didn't came immediately. There was not zakat, no fasting. First, after the oneness of God, it was good behavior and taking care of the vulnerable in the community. And I think this is also something which got lost because neoliberalism, uh, again, if it, it, it works together with racism, with Islamophobia, uh, white supremacy, and all, the, all these things, all dominant systems, basically, uh, they, they work in parallel. And... The, as a consequence, I think one of the things that make me really sad is that it lose. I mean, we are losing the ability to uh, listen to pain, to vulnerability, to to suffering, and except, of course, if it's like marketed and commoditized in the, in the right way, uh, there there will all be all like always be these kind of things. But uh, I just mean about people around us. Uh, for example, just last night I was uh, chairing a panel about masculinity versus prophetic. Masculinity people. versus what? Uh, hyper-masculinity versus prophetic masculinity. And in this kind of events, you have people who come with a lot of trauma. And it's same though, like uh, events around like, uh, like for example, being black and Muslim in the West. Like people... Uh, the problem is like the dominant society wants us to deny the trauma of others and makes us completely blind to, to the suffering. So we just stay in our corner looking at our own selves. But actually, if we look at the story of the revelation, this is exactly what the, the this is what the prophet did. Like when he like the, the poor uh, people who were slaves, like he really he, he fought for them and like spreading the message of Islam, which was a message of uh, um, yeah. F- First, being like compassionate, there's there's a reason why when uh, we the 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 attributes of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, the very first which come at every prayer is Ar Rahman, Ar Rahim, like most merciful, most compassionate. There, is, I think there is a reason for for that, and I think it's also one of our biggest strengths for us not to forget uh, that 
yeah, we have people suffering around and that this society is designed for us to be blind to all these things, for us to be comfortable, consume, produce, forget about the others, take care of your own self, be rich, be famous, and you'll be eventually happy. But it doesn't tell us that the happiness of our own selves cannot be dissociated from the happiness and the well-being and the safety of all of us around in the community. No, I mean, uh, well, the the if you think about the effect of neoliberalism and how it really played into human psychology, I mean, let's just think, let's just look at the sampling of the Western countries. It has created, the Western countries, we can um, easily say that in terms of history, they are the most richest countries in the history of man. In terms of the availability to food, shelter, water, and um, you know, resources, heat, are our, our, our basic needs. But it has made people or manipulated people into thinking that they are poor and they are miserable and without certain things being met in their life, they they are they have not accomplished anything and that they should be miserable so they've kind of created a false construct of what um what happiness is and then um tried to make them achieve that and i i think if you look at at least the history of of how humans operated it seems like humans were con- were just content or happy with um the the food that they were able to gather uh, and it, having shelter and not having war and now it's become all these things that yeah. you need to have at least from the video that you saw you consumption saw, of materialism you, yeah. you saw all these muslim personalities from youtube showing off their nice cars showing off their money showing off their, their all, all all the wealth that they've acquired and trying to tell you like in order for you to be successful and they've defined success with those measurements and they've said, in order for you to be successful, this is what you need. And it shows them all laughing loud and smiling. Smiling, having a good time. Living in, in a you know, very ecstatic state, yeah. What, you know, they're in luxury airplanes and things like that. And they've made, they're, they're essentially poisoning the mind. And you, whether, I mean, I'm not saying they're horrible people. They're, they're, they're doing it int- intentionally. They're, they're part of the machine. They've just, and, I'm, and to some extent, maybe we are as well. But how... I guess I, what we want to understand now is how do we move forward and how do we um, start reaching this contentment? It maybe is it um, you know working out? Is it you know are we? How do we get our dopamine in a healthy way rather than these temporary fixes? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very very important. So, but just before that, I just want to touch upon what you just mentioned, which is, I think, also very important to remember about all these like celebrities and all we see on social media, because sometimes, uh, of course, they are agents of a system of oppression, which I don't agree with. But at the same time, uh, I feel for them because they are also victims, because, I mean, it's understandable, because if we come from, if we are in a community which has been like, which is completely being oppressed with the, the media, politicians. Um, I, it's understandable. It's a human threat to seek for validation and acceptance. And the, the only problem is, again, like the, 
we have come to, to, to the point where here in the UK, I don't know if you heard about the prevent, the prevent strategy, uh, right. basically, yeah, reporting. We, call, we have CVE over here, countering yeah, violent yeah. extremism. Go, but go ahead, please explain. Yeah, the problem is we have like fellow Muslims not ashamed of like reporting other Muslims to prevent to for to them for, for them to show that yeah I can be more British than the British. Same in France, we have all these like laws against the hijab, like in religious science, and sometimes people who are, are like really uh, within the Muslim community or people from a Muslim background they get upset because they see a skirt which is too long and they would report it, and so as I. I, I somehow like understand where, where it comes from but as this it makes me think you know of this guy in the matrix who stays in the matrix because he loves so much the taste of the steak yeah so he will, he will make a deal with the agent no i'm staying it's uh and he of course and we see him like killing others so but yeah, very rightful you yeah you, the, i think the question is like we know what's going on we know what's no, uh, but well, yep. well, well, but you just made a profound statement about the man who who enjoyed the steak in, in the Matrix, and he's like, you know, this is this is re this is this is what is making me happy, and I think there's many people who are you know aware of what um what they have become, but they're willfully they're just like, you know what, I'm enjoying this right now. I'm I'm willfully. They're making a, a cognizant choice to kind of stay in this in this matrix. Mm. Yes, and actually, yeah, because I've interviewed people who are making a living out of YouTube or Instagram, and the problem is they are aware they're caught in a trap, a trap, a game of numbers, because they don't even they don't like it, you know, taking pictures of their food, like making Insta stories about their day. But they told me that they have to do it because otherwise they will lose followers and if they lose followers so the brands will not be interested in making it like a deal partnership with them and some of the people that they are like single mothers people who are really struggling with, with money and unfortunately it has become their only option because it's been just so hard to find jobs outside of social media but yeah but back to your question of what can we do what would be the, the further steps and i would like for this to recall um like one of my favorite thinkers ever, her name is Bell Hooks, and she talks about margins as spaces of infinite possibilities. And it made completely sense to me because like she, um, basically there's this opposition like a center and margins, and we as a minority are Muslims and we are in the margin, but uh, we have in, she, there's a lots of hope in her writings because this is actually where anything and everything can happen even if we don't have the means because Wait, we have actually, lots I, of i'm sorry i want to pause you there for one second yeah so yeah. would you is it am i am i understanding this properly you're saying so if there's a if when you say margins you mean if there's a part of human society that's marginalized that yeah. very marginalization is room for lots of growth and it can become something very beautiful Right. Exactly. Because if we think about what do we have, even if we're, the thing is, we are trapped into thinking that what do we have can only be defined by if you can put it into numbers. But actually, can you put numbers on like friendship, love, patience, forgiveness, hope, dreams, faith, spirituality? 
all these things you cannot put numbers on have no value in the dominant society but of course we are being we are being nice so we forget that we have all these things we can create we can we can do lots of things and actually if we look at how the revelation began and how islam spread it was not like through like a big marketing campaign was was someone who had was already like a, like a charismatic there were lots of followers it started very very small the prophet first the first person he told about like it was his wife and it was like his nephews close friends close relatives and people who were like not necessarily very privileged uh, at the time it started very very small and then the, it grew bigger and bigger and bigger till like people at in in Mecca the Quraysh they couldn't stand it so they had to even flee to migrate to Medina so the in the, the first years were very very dire but still now we see like how Islam has spread all over the globe so even if it starts very small even if it takes a long time I think there is a lesson here that it's okay it's okay not to be necessarily rich famous and powerful because we have some other things that maybe some other people don't value at all and maybe we are too much focused on the instant like making instant impact making an instant like deal getting like instantly lots of attention and but if we have a look at even our own tradition even if we look at like figures like malcolm x it all started very small it took a number of years some people they even like have to die before getting any recognition or for us recognizing that yes they impacted history they left a huge legacy mm. but yeah i think it takes lots of patience and we are not trained we are not like taught to think in the long term and i think this is yeah a big problem nowadays um i think you know just everything we're talking about right now um you know allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh is very very clear in uh, in Surah Al-Hadid, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, dunya, Where Allah starts the verse off with, Know that, you know, the life of this world. And He doesn't say, Inna. He doesn't start off with something indeed. He says, Wa'alamu. And that lets us, leads us to believe that this is a knowledge that people will be, for, it will be, for, it will be forgotten or something you have to teach people over and over. That this world is nothing but play it's lahu right it's something that is is just about a certain type of accumulation um and it's tafakhurun bainakum it's all about boasting and bragging right and what and just accumulating lots and lots um and having lots of children because back then the more children you had you know like walid ibn mughira for instance i think he had 10 or 11 boys and he used to walk wherever he went as if he's walking with an army. It's like his own little tribe amongst his tribe. And that was a sign of arrogance, right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that very verse, He is, it's such a simple, it's everything we've been talking about right now. So Allah talks about this life of this world is just a small play. And uh, it's all about boasting. It's all about accumulating and showing people what you have. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, it's like those tillers, you know, that grow something and they're very pleased by what they have in front of them. But then eventually it starts becoming yellow because what happens to plants when they're really nice and green when they start dying one of the signs is what they start turning yellow and then it becomes debris and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then at the last third of the verse if you divide the verse into three parts then he talks about and the akhirah there's a severe punishment in the akhirah and forgiveness that's why this verse is so beautiful 
is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about in the akhirah, there's a torment and there's maghfirah. Right? Right after the other. So it's like a choice you have to make. And just like there's lots of growth that you see that may be green, it's going to become yellow also. And this world that you're living that's in a very beautiful place, you can make it beautiful and very nice, but you can also make this beautiful place very toxic and make it all about boasting and accumulating. That becomes a very yeah. toxic spiral that's a downward People spiral. People end up spending large parts of their lives. I know um, when I was like in my early 20s, I spent so much time comparing myself to um, the, a brother that <laughs> this one sister I wanted to marry, and he she she ended up marrying him, and <laughs> he was very successful. So I ended up wasting years of my life just comparing myself. Even though I'm married, I have you know wife, kids, and everything. I'm measuring my metric of success is placed with him. That's how powerful that is, man. You Even know? after you're done, you have your own life and everything. And, those, and I'm still miserable. It's it's lingering. It's like, you mean still right now? No, no, no I'm just back then. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm no, about no. to say, uh, after the show, we got to talk, brother. You should be happy. But <laughs> <laughs> No, but but that that's how uh, the, the, you know, the thing about looking in the mirror yeah. and not be happy with yourself. Yeah. That's a scary thing. People don't like to look at themselves because they're co- constantly comparing themselves to other people. And we, as human beings, are very good at putting up shells and fronts. You know, and you as a uh, sociologist, you know, Brother William, you can expand upon this. I'm by no means a sociologist or psychologist, but this is your uh, arena here. But there's something very, very scary about an individual who lives their whole life with themselves. And they look into the mirror and they're able to be miserable to the point where I met people that don't like looking in the mirror anymore. Yeah. Right. And obviously, there's there's psychological reasons for that too. But some of that has to do with comparing yourself to other people and not living up to that standard. And we're in front of other people. We could put up a shell and act like we're happy. But deep down, we have this unfortunate, you know, uh, portion of the human uh, uh, experience where we 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 we're miserable inside, but we can smile in front of people, right? And we want to be able to look in the mirror, you know, and smile, uh, like the Hadith of Rasulullah when you look in the mirror. You know, you look at it and say, Yeah, Allah, you've beautified me and beautified my actions the same way. Right? Yeah. It all comes back to Allah and, and, and what you've done for your creator, right? Yeah. Um, oh Allah and the dua is beautiful. You know, you look in the mirror, you think, you know, Ya Allah, the way you've created me beautiful, beautify my actions. Other people are not involved in this. It's all about Allah, right? What is Allah thinking of me? What is how how if, if Allah was to take my life right now, how would I meet Allah? At that moment, Nothing matters after that. People don't matter. None of that matters, right? Hmm. So and that's, I think that's that's something, it's very simple, it's very elementary. And when we say we have to go back to the Quran and Sunnah, I think this is what we, what we mean, right? We have to look at the verses. You're not going to know about the verses if you don't read the verses, right? We're not going to know about the hadith of Rasulullah about the self and how beautiful we actually are as human beings, no matter what other people think, right? Yeah. It's all about our actions with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But, you know, I, if you can, I know we've talked about that, but that this whole concept of us being able to be happy in front of other people miserable inside brother william is there something you could expand upon that just to give us a little bit of enlightenment please yeah i mean it happens to me too it's been happening to me actually i, I was aware of it like maybe earlier than i thought like for the past like five ten years and i think it's completely normal um because we have to think about this society uh is built uh, upon the production of pain in 
And so we are seeking validation. We are comparing others, us to uh, whoever is in power, whoever is celebrated, who is given a platform uh, under these uh, ex expectations. So, and actually on that, maybe you've read like recent articles where even the, the people at the very, uh, the, the founders of uh, Facebook, where at the very beginning they admitted that they have designed social media for us to feel inadequate and seek validation. Like the person who designed the like button on Facebook, there you can Google it, he, he, he like openly talks about this, but now he regrets it. And so what these, what are we experiences is completely normal. But again, I think it's important to also find out not only the, the, the roots of uh, why it doesn't, is it doesn't work, but then also to, uh, this is why the society pushes us and to do this and to feel like this. But then what do we do uh, against this? And I think now the, the most important questions is now because there is a growing scholarship on all these like systems which are completely colonial in a, in, a, in a sense, like imposing on us things so we can like uh, um, erase uh, our like history, culture, identity. So uh, let's call them uh, as it is. But then, how do we heal from this? How do we rebuild? How do we build our self-esteem? How do we become confident in our skills and our knowledge? Because, uh, like as Bell Hooks says, like margins, uh, space of infinite possibilities. We have people in the community, mashallah. They have the skills. They have the knowledge. They are like, cap capable of like everything but we, we just need to uh, i think there's lots of things to be rebuilt because we've been wounded like uh, and not even just us but it's been going on for decades for centuries so how do we heal from them then how do we grow and how do we eventually write our own stories imagine hopeful futures and this is why i think arts are extremely extremely important and i'm really happy we have so many different artists uh, in the community because they allow us to imagine like a better word to put like words or images not only on the wounds but also on our hopes and our dreams and eventually like we need to also to leave a legacy for 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 later think about the like uh, further generations it's not only about us again so i think these are crucial questions to ask ourselves how can so we can be free from all like, these as, like chains yeah yeah uh so brother uh, william as we wrap things up what's next on your plate uh what what what's your next project and what you are got you going uh, are you coming to the states anytime soon um i would like to uh I, i've noticed you've done some stuff with zaytuna before oh i've just yeah yeah i mean uh, uh, I, i've given a talk at zaytuna college and uh, i've been participating in the islamophobia conference back in the days in berkeley and uh yeah uh so i'm I, now i have like uh, friends there in the u.s so it's very likely uh, I'll, I'll come back uh, uh you got cut off very likely you got yeah so i was asking are you based in chicago yes we are we are based out of chicago yeah i've never visited chicago before so maybe it will be the opportunity yeah yeah definitely so, yeah. Inshallah. but the moment uh basically uh i'm just busy with my own research project which uh, uh is called uh, the diaspora strikes back as a researcher at warwick university the diaspora, so, wait, wait, uh, the diaspora strikes back yeah the diaspora okay. strikes mm. back because we're living in a world of empires so yeah now it's time diaspora strikes back i mean it's been striking back for a long long time but for those who don't know what does diaspora mean for those who don't know 
Yeah, so uh, when I'm talking about diaspora and uh, especially the Muslim diaspora, it's basically all of us Muslims all over the globe. It's because diaspora means that we are uh, far from our spiritual, cultural points of origins. And uh, so we have spread all over the globe. So basically, diaspora is a way of saying this. Of course, I'm very uh, simplificating a lot. But um, yeah, this is the, the rough idea. Mm. So yeah, working on this project and uh, focusing on uh, grassroots initiatives, artists, young academics, um, like uh, activists, community leaders uh, in the UK and in France. And uh, how do they find ways of, as I was saying, how do they find ways for healing? for glowing, flourishing, and eventually like writing our, uh, their, their own stories. Wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for your time this evening. Uh, please stay on the line after I end this show. Let me, let me give a quick shout out to our sponsors. HalfHourDean.com is a website you go for the private matrimonial experience. Go to HalfHourDean.com and get your uh, profile made in as little as five minutes. WahedInvest.com is a website that is dedicated to Sharia halal investing. Go to Wahed Invest and download their app that will allow you to manage your investments very quickly and painlessly. MyWasia.com is a website that will be uh, allowing you to create a Sharia-compliant will in as little as 15 minutes. Go to MyWasia.com and we have a special link for MyWasia in the description that will allow you to save some money. Uh, that being said... For my co-host, Chef Amir, and our guest, William Berrylow, my name is Sim. Thank you very much for joining us this Saturday afternoon. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum, yo.